1: and we're fortunate. I know he's got down Anthony, but he gave me permission to call him Tony Garofoli. And I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being on the show today, Tony.
2: Thanks for having me, Ed. Happy to be here.
1: And you're the, let me get this correct, you're the Country Managing Director for Altair, correct?
2: Yes, that's that's correct.
1: And you're based, your headquarters are in Troy, Michigan
2: yeah we've we've been in Troy for uh several decades and and continues to be you know our world headquarters there,
1: yeah and we're gonna get into that a little bit because you know listeners could hear the word world mentioned, but um we'll get into that a little bit but when all and even for me who knows we have a mutual friend how you uh Dave Simon who I used to work with um but I didn't even know what Altair did always even then. So why don't you tell people if you go to an event or something, what do you kind of tell them what Altair does? Because it's a pretty complex place, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so first off, um, you know, Altair is a global technology company. And what we do is we really leverage the combination of uh, virtual simulation, high performance computing and artificial intelligence. And that really helps our customers drive efficiencies into their business. and allows them to make better decisions, you know? So I know that's kind of a mouthful and you got a lot of listeners that um, come from a a variety of of backgrounds. So if you don't mind, sometimes this is best explained by going through just a real quick example, if I could do that.
1: Yeah. You want to break down those three things you just said? Yeah. So I'll I'll give you an example.
2: Um, We worked with a company that was an engine um, manufacturer and, and supplier. And so if you can imagine, they would have these these engines sitting in a test lab and they would have all sorts of instrumentation and they'd be running various use cases to see, you know, hey, if I put this input on the engine, how does it how does it go and behave? And they were collecting not only that that design and that engine, but historically through all their designs, they have all this this data that they're compiling terabytes of information. So we partnered with them, and what we were able to do is take all that historical data, process it, and create a machine learning algorithm. That machine learning algorithm did really three things for that business. Um, the first thing it did is it helped with anomaly detections. So any future physical tests they ran, they could see if the engine was kind of operating in its uh, normal conditions and if there was any risk of a catastrophic failure so that they could shut the test down. That saves the engine, that saves all the testing equipment that would go along with it, plus the downtime for the lab. The other thing they can do is they could put those engines back into the vehicle, run them in the real world, and see how the engine is behaving in the real world and what sort of test conditions that might mean for the lab so that they can improve their test conditions to make them more real world-like. And the third thing it does, um, because in any design cycle, you only have so much time and money, um, you could actually produce new virtual tests. So if they didn't have the time to have different inputs, they could kind of change those knobs and those dials a little bit. And then you could predict the output with that machine learning algorithm. So that's really kind of the AI portion of that.
1: Is that. Let me ask one question about that. Is that modeling kind of at the end there? Is that...
2: Yeah, yeah, it is a, it's a certain type of model. It's, it's based off of, of data and analytics. And then you have physical, physics based models that we also have software that produces that as well. So if you wanted to look at, you know, the heat transfer going on in the engine, optimize uh, the structural mass, look at noise, vibration, harshness, um, criterias, and, um, just really a whole merit of physics that you have in designing those components, we do that as well. And, um, really the high performance computing is really the horsepower of the engine that all these simulations kind of run on in the background.
1: Yeah. All right. I cut you off. Number two, sorry.
2: <laughs> Number two, where?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you had a second one. You were going to, is that the all three together then?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you have the, the physics-based simulation. Oh, I
1: see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. The,
2: the artificial intelligence was the use case. And then the high performance computing is, is kind of the horsepower of the engine that, that runs all these calculations on the background.
1: So um, you you did mention uh, sort of, we should also clarify who you are. You, you're an actual uh, engineer, right? You got a degree from uh, Wayne State, isn't that correct?
2: Yeah, I uh, went to Wayne State um, for both my bachelor's and my master's degree. Um, so my bachelor's is in mechanical engineering and uh, a master's in solid mechanics.
1: And just for people who out there might want to be an engineer, I, I kind of don't know what solid mechanics means.
2: Uh, yeah, it's, it's really structural engineering. You know, it, it's really closely tied to uh, um, the, the mechanical aspects with materials and, and things of that nature.
1: All right. And um, also, uh, let's get a little bit into your title. You are country. What does that mean? What is that like? I don't know where I know your, your headquarters are in Troy, but you guys are pretty widely spread around the globe, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Our headquarters are in Troy. Um, we have 86 offices in 25 different countries. So we're, we're definitely a global country uh, or, or global company for that matter. And then we really have our business really split up into the three major global zones. So you have the Americas, basically North and South America, um, AMIA, which is Europe and and Asia Pacific. Um the Americas is split up between several country managers. There's there's five of us, and just due to this the sheer size of the US, it's myself and, and a counterpart of mine um that kind of split the US. I kind of run the eastern half of the US and my my counterpart Zul, runs the uh western half of the US.
1: So does that mean you gotta travel a lot or do
2: you uh uh, well, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, you, we're doing this kind of virtual podcast here, um, and, and the whole transition to virtual workspaces has, has been something that Altair has pivoted to very well. Um, uh, but, but certainly there is travel. I, I think face-to-face does, uh, bring a certain element, um, that is important for business and, and you know, developing relationships with our customers and really understanding their problems and challenges. So there is some travel involved, but I'm not I'm not living out of a suitcase either.
1: Yeah, and, and I imagine every once in a while it helps to have the boots on the ground, like you said, with a potential client or an existing client, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We got a team of direct account managers and application engineers that are kind of helping run that Eastern half of, of uh, the business there.
1: And can you just quickly... Jump into some of the, cause I was on one of your, uh, I don't know, it was like a virtual, like, I don't know if it was an annual meeting or what, but it, I was just amazed by how many different industries you're in too. It's not just automotive, right?
2: No, no, it's, it's certainly not automotive. um You know, in Michigan, obviously it's, it's very automotive heavy here. That's, that's a, a big market for us in Michigan. But company-wide, um, we deal in architecture, aerospace, uh, electronics, manufacturing, you know, life sciences, consumer goods. Um, we do a lot of work with the government entity and, and financial services as well. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's such a, like, that's why it's hard to tell people right away what Altair does sometimes. Uh, but I was more impressed with a lot of the train, you know, in the aerospace. I saw all those in your, that one thing I was on. Mm-hmm. And and I think people, one of the reasons I really thought it would be great to have you on the show today is that also, you know, I don't think people realize that's like right in our backyard. It's a global corporation. And because it has sort of a unique name, I don't even know where Altair comes from. Is that Was that the owner's last name or something?
2: No, it, uh, it's it, it, the name is an interesting story. Um, I, I've heard a couple of rumors, so I, we like I don't know show. it's exactly.
1: Show. Keep
2: going. Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly correct, but I know some part of this is true. So I don't know exactly how they landed perfectly on the Altair name. I know it kind of comes there. Was, there's a star that, that is Altair as well, um, but our CEO definitely wanted one, The company's name, whatever it was going to be, to begin with the letter A. And I think that was back then, you know, when you went to a trade show, they'd print out the list of companies that would be there. So he wanted a name. So we'd be right there at the top of the list um, there. And, and somewhere along the way, they they kind of landed on all. Why
1: don't you mention the CEO? He's still the CEO? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Our, yeah he's he's our CEO and and founder, Jim Scappa. Um, you know, he's still very active in the, in the company. And um, he's been a pleasure to work with. You know, he's really built. Uh, an amazing culture in Altair that, um, you know, you don't feel like you're a big corporation, even though it's a big company, we have over 3000 employees. Um, but it, it certainly has a, a family feel. And I think that comes from, from the roots where, where we started. restarted. Uh, and, and it's just been an amazing place to be and, and have a career. Yeah,
1: and more of a personal note, I should mention that uh, we discovered something by accident that uh, you're, grandmother worked at my family's restaurant for quite a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that was, uh, that was a very pleasant surprise because, you know, when you, you mentioned Dave Simon, when he kind of asked me to join the podcast, he said, Ed Clemente. And I was just like, you know, that name rings a bell for me. And and I was thinking, I was like, there's, there's no way it it would be too weird of a coincidence (laughs) for it to be true. Um, and then once we got talking and, and kind of going back through the old stories there a little bit, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. My, my grandmother worked at Colmetti's restaurant for, for 30 years there. Uh, you know, and my, my dad says, Hey, tell Eddie, I said, hello.
1: <laughs> at least he's not calling me little Eddie. Yeah. I still get that from yeah. <laughs> some of my relatives. My dad was big Eddie. Um, the, but that's, yeah, she was wonderful too. And her English was actually pretty good. Uh, more so than the other Anna. I remember because a lot of our cooks didn't know any English and it was kind of a challenge. I think Anna, your grandma used to interpret a lot for some of the other staff for us back then. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's great. No, no, no. And I remember your dad, you know, with her, I don't think your grandma ever drove. Right. Um,
2: You know, I, I'm not 100% sure. She passed when I was fairly okay. young. You know, I was five, six years yeah. old. Uh, so I, have, I have some fleeting memories um, of, of those days a little bit. I, I remember her making pasta de joel for us oh, all yeah. the time. And my mom sitting me up, you know, she put me on the chair so I could reach the phone and, and call, call Nana
0: and, and ask for, for my favorite dish. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity. Featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast.
1: How like in Michigan's presence, you said automotive, but I think you do more than that just here in the state, right? I know you're automotive heavy, but uh, like I know you're in California. I know you're like, what are some of the Divisions, at least do you think that would be of interest, I think, for just people in the state that either would be interested in what your business does or future stakeholders or partners you might have, those kind of
2: yeah, well, let me tell you a little bit maybe about like you know how how do we help companies? you know when i when I look at like the impact that Altair has, um, I really see it kind of unfolding really in kind of three areas. One, we help companies increase their revenue. The second is we help them cut costs. And the third is we help them mitigate risks. So we help them increase revenue by shortening their design cycles, by, by leveraging that simulation, and then it allows them to get to market faster. You know, they cut costs by reducing their physical testing, and then they're able to explore more of the designs, more possibilities than what they could do through traditional methods of, of kind of build, test, and break. And um, what that ultimately leads to is a more robust design that that goes out into the market. And then that has better customer experience, less warranty claims, and um, they're managing their risk as as they put a product out into the field. You know, the other thing that is really interesting is um, you hear a lot of companies talking about their sustainability initiatives. And one of the things that Altair has been fantastic in in is um, our lightweighting technology. I mean, we are the global leader in lightweighting and we have helped customers in all industries um, cut, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds out of their products, which, which ultimately just reduces their overall CO2 footprint. So we're kind of doing our part, um, you know, vicariously through our our customers there. Do
1: you, I don't know if, Proprietary-wise, if you could mention, do you have any clients or are those all sort of proprietary?
2: Yeah, I, I did try to work with our marketing <laughs> okay. team. A lot of customer lists and stuff gets a little touchy Yeah, I, there. Figured, um, I figured. But
1: I just think that you could safely say that you're actually involved in a lot of companies in Michigan, too, at least in the automotive sector.
2: Yeah, Michigan uh, is... Uh, it's really where our roots are, and um, some of our oldest and largest customers re- reside in Michigan, absolutely. Um, and that's that's part of the reason we're here, and it's kind of a great great place for us to be headquartered
1: in. And um, is there uh, – you did mention a little bit of the global, but is there anything that you see sort of as sort of trends or things that you see – you know, going forward, not just domestically, but uh, internationally?
2: Yeah, I see really three big trends coming out into the market. Um, One is this kind of idea of smart connected products, you know, leveraging digital twin, which is a forefront of what Altair is doing, and uh, leveraging data throughout that engineering product uh, or process. Um, You know, I just read an article, it, it was like last week, and it said, you know, companies that are adopting these uh, digital twin models and putting that into their design cycle, they're seeing about a 10% increase in revenue, about a 50% reduction in uh, lead time to market, and about a 25% improvement in product quality. And with those sort of numbers, you know, that's, that's something that is going to be tough for any business to really ignore um, and you also start seeing some of the the uh, user experience change. You know, so we're no longer just buying a product; it's how we interact with it, um, and and that kind of plays along with the data. You know, they're adding on services tied through subscription-based models, um, and you see this in all sorts of industries. Everything from, you know, the sleep number bed that you order to workout equipment to your ring doorbells. Um, all of that sort of. You know, business models it brings up new revenue streams, and you no longer just buy one widget. You're you're buying an experience of how you interact with that product. Um, so that's one trend that I see. The other, um, as I mentioned, is is really around sustainability, um, and and not just uh, you know CO2 emissions, but uh, you see a lot of things with new materials and advanced manufacturing. So I've seen companies. Using you know plant-based fiber materials for fabrics and and other um, components as they build their products, and then those materials are actually helping them change their manufacturing process. So another kind of side shoot example here is uh, you know this is something everybody interacts with almost daily is you think of like your plastic Coke bottles or your Gatorade bottles. Uh, we were working with one company. Their process was you'd have these plastic tubes. They would put all those plastic tubes, you know, they go through the process, cut them to size, put them on a big container, ship them to another facility, heat them up, blow them into shape, package them back up again, ship them to another facility where they'd fill them with the Coke or Sprite or Gatorade or whatever it is. Um, They actually worked with their material scientists to create a new plastic material that um, didn't require you to heat the plastic to mold it. And what that allowed them to do was fill the the liquid and mold the bottle into the shape that it needed to be in one single step. So the material actually became an enabler for them to kind of revolutionize their manufacturing process. And you think of all that waste of shipping and packing and all the back and forth. I mean, it's just, it's just really amazing. So it's kind of advanced manufacturing with materials I think is going to be at the forefront as people look at sustainability and and moving forward. That's about
1: 30 new Um, questions for me, but give us your third one. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So and the other one is electrification. You know, it's it's really big. Obviously, in Michigan, you've seen GM announce, you know, all electric by 2035. Ford has announced their Blue Oval City, where they're doing this um, mega city. I think it's going to be down in Kentucky and Tennessee, where they're going to build. Um, not only the f-150 trucks but build the battery packs and assemblies and everything for their electric vehicles all in one shot um and then you can see all, all the new players that are kind of coming into the market so tesla's been around for for a while but you got companies like canoe and via motors and lordstown Rivian, and lucid motors um elsm is an electric you know um they do um like class A one vehicles. Uh, and then you have our, our next energy, which is a battery company, which is supposed to really, their technology is supposed to really be extending the range that you get out of the battery too. So it's just really a, a big influx of uh, companies and investments from existing companies going into electrification. And it's really not just an automotive. Um, Hyundai had announced their urban air mobility. I think um, that they, they rebranded that as supernal. Um, but they're they're looking at electric aircrafts um, and and electric boats are are kind of coming online as well. So I think really just you know a, the future of sustainable mobility um, across however we're traveling is is going to continue to be a trend in the market. Right,
1: and I, you probably know that here at the MEDC, we have uh, Trevor Paul who does a lot with the electrification and mobility for the state. And I know you've had some interaction with the MEDC, or Dave has in the past, uh, on different projects.
2: Yeah, a long, long and positive relationship with the MEDC. You know, we've worked on STEM programs, uh, job creations, education, you know, and they've always really been a really good resource for us to kind of navigate the different government channels that uh, we we work through sometimes. So it's it's always been something we've been happy to engage with and we'll continue to engage with. In, in the future.
1: Okay. The hard part's over the last couple of questions. Just what would, what quick advice would you give yourself when you're 18, maybe before you went to a career, if you talk to a career today, and then what would you, do you have something in your pocket you would tell people like you're yourself again?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just advice I think is, um, Really, just to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, if I look back in in the past, I tend to regret things I didn't do more than the things I did do. Um, and you know, you can't be afraid to fail, because ultimately, if you're not failing, you're you're not growing. You, you can think about any new endeavor that you start. If I wanted to go play a guitar, at first you're going to be terrible, <laughs> right? But you got to keep keep going. So I guess if I were to try to summarize that into uh, a quote or something like that, I would say, you know, try to chase the person you want to become, but only compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And, and I think that gives you a good mindset to um, always be chasing and trying to improve yourself, but stop and recognize, you know, the small wins that you have because it's, it's really those small wins that are the compound interest of uh, who you become. Oh,
1: very well put. Um, this one, I sort of added in, hopefully you have someone at the top of your head, but uh, is there anyone historical you sort of, you know, think had good leadership style?
2: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a real tough, tough question. Uh, to, to narrow it down. It's like saying, what's your favorite movie? But I'll tell you this. Um, when I look at leadership qualities, the things that I admire are, um, people that lead by example, um, people that are agents for change, um, and, and people that are willing to take risks. So even my own advice, I, I tend to admire, despite what other people's are saying. A lot of times, you know, you know, when you're trying to do something new, there's a lot of critics. Um, and so when I think back in history, you know, who are people that, that really did that? You know, I think of great leaders, you know, like, uh. Winston Churchill comes to mind. Martin Luther King did that. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln did that. So, so there's a lot of great ones. It's tough to narrow it down, but I would say those are the qualities that that are kind of the makeup of a great Oh, leader. That was
1: a good answer. You know, and I, I know Tony, you've got uh, little kids. So I imagine you have a different experience about what you enjoy best about the state. Like, what do you like about Michigan? All those kind of things.
2: Yeah, uh, I think you know we're living living in a, a hidden gem here. You know, you listen to those pure Michigan commercials, and and it's just who who wouldn't want to be here in Michigan? Um, but really, the thing I think I enjoy most is, is really living in a four season state. You know, spring's coming along, and and uh, the kids are getting their bikes out, and and we're spending time outside. You know, summer is great. You know, we got these big freshwater oceans practically that you can go and you know and, and you travel just you know an hour two hours almost in any direction and, you, and you'll hit water somewhere it's just absolutely amazing and then once the fall starts coming and the leaves start changing it's great camping weather and you know you get up north and it's just just absolutely um beautiful and then in the winter time um my kids uh, enjoy skiing you know and, and snowboarding so uh we, we don't have you know the big mountains out west but um it, you know, getting up to you know Nubs Knob and, and Boyne Highlands, it, it's uh plenty enough to have a good time and and spend some time in those you know, snowmobile trails and everything. Um so it's just you always have some new hobby to to look forward to in, in Michigan, I feel like. And uh it's just an amazing. Yeah, place I
1: almost be. don't want to tell people how nice Michigan is sometimes.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're gonna keep a keep Yeah, a I secret. know.
1: Um, Well, once again, I want to thank you. Uh, Today, our guest was Tony Garofoli. He is is the country managing director for Altair. And Tony, it's been a real pleasure, especially catching up with you on your family lineage as well. And thank you very much for doing this podcast. You did Altair a great favor today.
2: Well, thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure.
1: See you next time, hopefully. All right, take care. Join us for our next guest, Jennifer Brace, Global Trends and Futuring Manager, Ford Motor Company, helping Ford be better prepared for what lies ahead and the best job title ever.
0: The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.